Well, good morning. It's uh, great to see all of you here. It's great to have all of you that are uh, joining us uh, online here. And, um, you know, uh, uh, we're in this series that's like, how did we get here? And we've looked at this from a lot of different uh, angles or whatever. But, you know, part of the reason we're doing this series is because this August, uh, we really want to spend some time, again, looking forward. Like, God, where are you calling us? What do you want us to do in this next chapter, this next season of our church? But there's this thing that is always helpful to kind of understand where you've come from, to kind of understand who you are. And, and when you think about this, there is this whole story that is Casas. And we've looked at all these different things. We looked at like 2,000 years. We looked at a, a shorter stint last week. And this uh, morning, I want to look at this stint of time, how we got here from the perspective of this church um, you may not know this, but next summer, June of next year, this church will have been in existence for 60 years. Yeah, that's, we've been around for a while, right? <clears throat> Which means there is a story there, isn't there? And, and what I want you to think about is, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell part of that story. I can't tell the whole story because it would take way too long, okay? But I'm going to highlight some things about that story. And what I would love for you to hold in your heart and your mind as I walk through some of this stuff is you'd be going, that's my story. That's my story. Because whether you've been a part of or connected to this church for just a little while, or some of you I know have been uh, a part of this church for a long, long time, this is your story. It's, it's like your heritage. What was brought forward, you know, some 60 years ago um, is now you're a part of it. This is your story. So I want us to look at that and understand this thing that we all hold uh, uh, about the story. And before I start into some of the history, I want to read a passage to you out of uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 7. I want to read a passage to you that was really instrumental a decade or so, actually almost two decades ago, in shaping where we had kind of come from. But it also captures some things about the very beginning of who we were uh, as a church. So I want to read this to you. This is out of John chapter 7, verse 37. And I'm going to come back to it at the end of my time as well. Um, and this is Jesus at uh, this uh, huge feast in Jerusalem. And he says, it says this, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And like, there's just so much that we get from Jesus out of this one verse, just this insight of who he was and what he was doing. And just, he begins with this thing, anyone who's thirsty, because he understood the world is filled with thirsty people, thirsty spiritually, thirsty relationally, thirsty physically. Like we all, we all have needs and we all have struggles and there's a thirst that we have. And he comes from a place of, come to me. I, like I am the place that, to, to quench those thirsts in there. Like there's something really profound. And when you begin looking back at our story, your story as a part of this community. There's something to this, right? And so let me, let me share a little bit of history with you. And let me just start with this. So uh, we started way back, uh, like in the early 60s. And just to give you a feel for how much things have changed, um, I, wanna, I wanna you to see a picture of Tucson back in the early, early uh, 60s. And just take a wild guess at where that is. Anyone know where that is? 
that is near downtown. That is, in fact, you can see part of downtown in the back. That is actually where I-10 would soon go. That is where Speedway and I-10 uh, would be. I-10 wasn't even uh, through Tucson at that point. In fact, when this church started, held its first service, uh, they were just finishing uh, I-10 through that section. Um, have another uh, picture here, an aerial picture. Um, and this is looking from above downtown Tucson uh, to the northwest directly towards us and that main road that you, you see uh, going up uh, towards the edge of the mountains there, that is Oracle Road and those mountains you see there, that is Push Ridge. And if you look on the other side of Push Ridge there, you see that massive bustling metropolis there that would, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just desert. That's where we are, okay? Um, our first site, which I'll talk about here in a little bit, uh, would be just over to the left of Push Ridge and then just straight across over Push Ridge is where we are now. In, and this picture was taken, I think, in uh, 1962. So our story kind of really begins in 1961. And, and where there would be a church someday called Casas was just like desert uh, out there, right? And it really starts in 1961 uh, with a guy by the name of T.P. Lott. He was a medical doctor. He lived in Texas and he came and he was visiting uh, Tucson and actually kind of fell in love uh, with the desert and fell in love with Tucson. And uh, he was uh, meeting with some folks at a church here in Tucson that it doesn't even exist anymore, North Tucson Baptist uh, Church. And there was this small little group of people uh, at this church that he started talking with and they, were, they started sharing with him that they believed that someday in this deserty area, you know, in Northwest Tucson, at that time they called it the Casas Adobas area, that they just felt like, you know, there's a few people that are living out there now, uh, but there's no churches out there. And we think there's going to be lots of people that are going to be moving out in that area someday. And so Dr. Lott, uh, just in his love for Tucson, kind of the just, and just kind of seeing it and stuff, maybe that's happened to some of you. Maybe some of you are like transplants to Tucson. And there was something you just like, I just fell in love with this city, Tucson. And I just like, like just loved it. And that was kind of Dr. Lott. And so he started in inspiring them with this idea that like, what if someone actually started a church out there in that deserty place out there? What, what would, like, think about that. And he got them stirred up and inspired in this thing. And before he left, uh, a couple of them actually were like touring him around Tucson. And he actually drove up here in the Northwest area. Uh, they drove past the intersection of Ina and La Choya, at which point both uh, La Choya was a dirt road and Ina was a single lane uh, road at that time. And there was a piece of property on the, on the southwest corner, which would become our uh, original site. And uh, it was for sale. And Dr. Lott uh, said, if you guys are really serious about starting a church out here, he said, because they didn't have much. He said, I'll do this. You buy it, and I'll make the monthly mortgage payments on it. Isn't that incredible? Like he, like, he didn't even live here. But he just, he loved this place. And it was the thought of what would happen if someone built a church and in anticipation of people that weren't even there yet. But like, let's build a church. You should do that. 
and I'll help. And that's how we got started. Like there was kind of this spirit in the early days of this church, of this little group of people, this spirit of saying, um, we're going to follow Jesus in doing something good and beautiful, even if it seems unconventional or costly. And so they did. So Dr. Lott uh, lived up to his agreement. They bought that little piece of property and he started making monthly payments on it. He moved back to Texas. He's living in Texas. And all through 1961 and through 62, they are getting everything ready. They get everything put in place except for one thing. There's one thing that they struggle to get. And it's a senior pastor. <laughs> like they can't find a senior pastor that they're like, yeah, this is the guy. Or that would be willing to come out here and you want to start a church where? Yeah, right there. I know there's nobody there, but let's do it, right? So you know what they do? Some of you know, I can see some of you, uh, some of our elders like, I know, yeah. They called up Dr. Lot and said, hey, why don't you retire and come out here and start a second career? And he did. He retired from his medical practice in, in Texas, pulled up stakes and moved to Tucson and became the very first senior pastor of this church. And uh, they started, like, and it, was, uh, it started with seven families and Dr. Lott and his wife. Uh, their first service, I think, had like 30 people in it. Um, and so uh, they came over here and his first day on the job, the day that they, I believe that they ordained him and commissioned him uh, was the first day of the service. And it was uh, June 9th, 1963 uh, is when this church held its very first service down there uh, as actually at Harrelson uh, Middle School because they didn't have a building yet. Um, but as people started coming and they started having services, they were like, we gotta, we gotta build a chapel. We've gotta, like, we've gotta do something. So they end up pooling their resources. There was a contractor uh, that started going to the, it was actually one of the charter members. Uh, and it was just like, I'll, like uh, we can get this done. And it was kind of one of those things of like, uh, like field of dreams. Like if you, know, if you build it, they will come. And so they do and they build it. And I think we've got some pictures uh, here of those early days. Um, there's the old, look at the desert around it. That, so that is the intersection of Ina and Lachoya there on the left. Looks a little different today, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's, that's your story. That's your roots because you're a part of this church. And it started with this spirit of what would happen if we built a place for people who don't have a place? What if we started a spiritual home for people who needed a spiritual home and didn't have one? And, they, and what they were doing at that time seemed a little unconventional, but like they just trusted Jesus and they stepped out and they did that. And that's where it began. And they got their uh, building, uh, that building went up in October of 1965. Um, not long after that, uh, is more more people started moving into that area. They started a preschool and then they started a school. And the beautiful thing about this is when they started this, right, the, the church was tiny. They weren't starting a school and a preschool and doing all these other ministries because they wanted it to be for the people of the church. Like all the family, we want to create a school for, they did it to minister to the community. In fact, when you look through the early notes, all of their language and everything is about how do we love on, how do we minister to this community around us? And it's interesting to know that in the world of like Christian schools, there's two basic types. Uh, even today, there's what's called a, um, 
a charter, or excuse me, um, a covenant and a missional type. And a covenant is, uh, it's a Christian school that says, um, we're, we're building a school and it's, it is for Christian students and we're gonna create a beautiful Christian environment for those students. A missional school, on the other hand, says, we're gonna build a beautiful Christian environment and it's for anybody. It doesn't matter what your faith is. It doesn't matter if your parents go to church. It doesn't matter what you believe. We just wanna serve you and love on you and it'll be in a Christian environment. And that's what they did. And to this day, our school here and our preschool is still missionally minded. Like, like it's just, because it's like, how do we love on the community? How do we extend the kingdom of God and just, and allow people to have a place? And that's our roots in this. It's, it's why when you think about all the things that we do at times, like, have you ever had a moment? Um, and I know many of you have because you've told me about it. When you had a friend who was at that place where they're like, boy, they were asking spiritual questions and they didn't know much about God and you felt like I could invite him to my church. It's because like that was in the heart of this church from the very uh, beginning of all of this. So uh, the church goes, uh, Dr. Lott uh, uh, is the senior pastor for all the way into the mid-70s. They get to 1975 and Dr. Lott is finally like, okay, I need to really retire this time, right? And so he retires and uh, the church uh, goes looking for another senior pastor and they find this young guy fresh out of seminary by the name of Roger Barrier. How many of you uh, knew Roger at all? Okay, quite a few of you, okay, yeah. So um, I want you to see this picture of Roger because maybe some of you haven't uh, seen him. Looking at that. Yeah, that's him, right? Fresh out of seminary, right? Ready, ready to go. And when Roger came to this church, he brought like this kind of energy uh, and just an amazing way. And uh, the church started to see uh, growth as like in unexpected uh, ways as he and the church started leading out and ministering uh, to the community. Um, they built a sanctuary in 1978. Is the, they just kind of kept expanding and moving forward. My family uh, started coming to the church uh, probably eight or nine months after Roger became the senior pastor. And so as a boy, uh, I remember uh, Roger. I remember the church when it was like maybe a hundred people in that little chapel. And it just, like, it just uh, started growing and we saw all of these changes. And there are so many changes that happened kind of in this chapter, but there are two that I want to point out uh, this morning, two important ones that I want you to understand because it's a part of your story. The first one is this. Uh, Roger brought uh, this, this really deepening sense of wanting to care for people and the hurts and the struggles that they faced. He had a heart to care for people that struggled or that were hurting. Um, in fact, one of the things that I heard Roger say so many times, just, and it may have been when we were out to lunch or when I came on staff or, or just uh, so many times, and maybe some of you remember Roger saying this, it was, I want Casas to be a church that helps hurting people because that was part of his heart. He, he wanted us to, to not just be a church that like did all of these things, but, but if, if you were hurting, and he used to say, you know, everybody has a hurt. Everybody has a hurt. And I want us to be a church that ministers to people who are hurting. In fact, um, in 1983, we did one of the most unlikely things that churches just did not do back then. And uh, we started a counseling ministry and a counseling center. 
because at that time there were so few counselors in the city of Tucson, so few Christian counselors that we were like, let's start a counseling ministry. And after, and once there were more and more Christian counselors in our, in our city, we stopped doing that. But when there wasn't, we were just like, let's, let's help hurting people uh, in this. Uh, one of his favorite passages was from Romans chapter 12, verse 15, that says, rejoice with those who rejoice. And what? Mourn with those who mourn. And Roger taught us a lot about being the kind of church that could mourn with people who were mourning. Because, like, that was the heart of Christ in all of this. Um, there was another movement that he helped bring about, and, and not just him, but all, all the leadership of the church. Um, and it was this shift in how we saw the spiritual life. Roger talked a lot about spiritual growth. And there's a particular way that he shifted our understanding about spiritual growth. And here's how I would describe it. Um, the spiritual, the spiritual life shifted from being right with God to relating to God. What is it? Not just like he, he over slowly over time shifted our thinking about the spiritual life about, okay, what do I need to do to be right with God? What do I need to, what does it mean to relate to God? And you would think that that would be a really benign thing that like there was nothing controversial about that. Oh no. It like, you would not believe the struggles and the controversy and the things that that uh, pulled up in, especially like in the 1980s, uh, when he first started focusing on some of this stuff, because part of it got back to this thing. It, it could be this unsettling thing with how you saw yourself. It, it meant a different kind of faith. You couldn't just sit back and say, well, I've got my doctrine correct, right? It was this thing about you have to trust God. You have to engage in him. And there was an unsettling thing about that. It also changed how we did ministry. One of the ways it changed how we did ministry was with music. Um, in the early days, and I remember this as a kid, almost all of the music we sang, we were singing doctrine. Okay, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to sing doctrine, to sing something that is true. But we shifted from singing about doctrine to actually singing sometimes to God, to actually singing in a relational worship kind of way. Like what you were singing here a little while ago has this deep relational connect, like it was drawing you relationally to God, wasn't it? Well, that wasn't always true in our church, but there was this thing that we walked through going back into the 80s where we, that, there was this kind of shift. Um, some of the songs that we sang, uh, one, of, one song that I really liked a lot way back then and never thought about it until uh, way later what we were actually singing um, and how it could get in the way of helping to reach people that didn't have a church home yet. Uh, one of those songs uh, was There Is a Fountain. Y'all know this song, There Is a Fountain? And again, I love this song, right? But I, I want you to just think about the words of this song. Think about it as someone with very little church background, okay? And maybe you're here and you have very little church background. Hang with this. I don't want to freak you out just yet, because, okay? But here's how the song uh, begins. Here are the first three verses. It's, there is a fountain filled with blood, just <laughs> right out of the gates, right? And you're like, I walked past a fountain when I came in out there and you're like, did they ever fill that fountain with blood? That's kind of gross. That's like, okay, like think about that, right? Deep theological meaning, right? But if you're just like, let's sing a song. 
There is a fountain filled with blood, right? And then it gets better, right? Drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Ooh, that's gross, right? Um, and sinners plunge beneath that flood. It's like, it sounds something more like what Vikings would sing before they go to war or something, right? Not what Christians sing about Jesus, right? Um, one time I invited one of my friends, this was uh, early in high school, I invited one of my friends to come to church with me, um, and he came, and I don't, it may have been this song or one like it, and after we were done, we were, we were leaving, and he had this funny look on his face, and he said, and I quote, You've always seemed like a normal guy, Glenn. <laughs> That's when you know. Maybe this conversation isn't going to go the way I thought it was going to go, right? And he goes, but that was weird. <laughs> That's what he said. And you know, that got me to thinking. Wow, there's this thing that I've grown up with that I'm used to. And I understand that when we sing about fountains full of blood, it's not like we're really going to go out and do that, right? There's like, we're just talking about Jesus in there, right? It's just... But to him, and, and, and there was this thing that we went through in the 80s where we started shifting the music in this, and it became controversial. And there were people that it, it shook their sense of stability, and it felt like, are you changing things that shouldn't be changed? Are you changing like, um, how we think about God in ways that are unhealthy? And we had a lot of people that actually left, that, that a lot of people, they kind of fought on their way out in this. But this place still held this spirit of saying, right? We, we are going to trust Jesus to walk out and do good and beautiful things, even if, even if they're unconventional, even if they're costly, even if it costs dollars, even if it costs that, that people will leave and not everyone's going to go with us and that, like the, but we're going to trust Jesus in this and we're going to walk this out to do things that are good and beautiful to follow Christ in this. Um, just as we went through the 90s, um, there was kind of another thing that hit that follows with the same idea of going from seeing the spiritual life as being right with God to relating to God. And that was, uh, Roger started um, conversing and working with a theologian by the name of Dave Ferguson. And they actually coined this phrase as they were working on a bunch of this uh, theology, and Roger wrote some books, um, relational theology. Because uh, starting with Dave, it, there was this thing that he was just seeing that there is this, the, there's this theology in Scripture about about what it is to have a relationship with God that is rich and strong and beautiful and that often gets missed. And, and they were trying to lift this out and help people see this. But of course, there's this threatening thing that you even use the word relationship with theology and people are like, is this new agey? Is this something? Is this, are they departing from the Bible? And it's just like, no. Like, in fact, Dave Ferguson, I don't know that I've ever known anyone who's known the Bible better than Dave Ferguson. Um, in fact, he memorized the New Testament. Uh, we could do this funny thing with him. I could open up my Bible and read a verse anywhere out of the New Testament, and he could just about immediately quote the verse before it and after it. And I was just like, whoa, this guy knows his Bible. But he would also be the first to say, you can know the Bible and miss what it's really leading you toward in a spiritual life. If you miss the relationship aspect, you've missed them. And he would say that he spent a lot of years missing that 
while memorizing the Bible. And that we wanted to be a church that didn't just know scripture, we didn't wanna miss the life that it was pulling us uh, into. And so as a church, uh, we grew all through the 80s and the 90s, uh, filled with plenty of controversy and cost and all of these things, but all the while being pulled forward of trusting Jesus for the next chapter and where we were going. We outgrew that little site down there. In fact, it was 14 acres. Um, all through the 90s and, and part of the 80s, we worked to move up to this site, which is 85 acres, which gives you a feel of the difference in this. And in October of 1999, we actually held our first worship service up here uh, in this building and this uh, site. Um, and we've got a picture of this, of the groundbreaking day that occurred uh, before this uh, that I want you to see. Uh, that's Roger and I on a loader, scooping up all the little children on the way to Groundbreak. Um, and just so you know, we take child safety way more serious now than we used to. <clears throat> um, but uh, we moved up to this site uh, as an act of faith as well, all with that spirit of saying, we want to keep, we want to keep creating a space in anticipation of people who aren't here yet. But there were some hard lessons in all of that too. And, and I wanna give you just one of those lessons. In the early 2000s, um, and I had come on staff in 1995, and in the early 2000s, uh, I worked with a few staff to just do this kind of survey. And this is before computers could do all the things that they could do now. It actually took us a couple of months to pull all this together. And one of the things that we, that we wanted to figure out is, of all of the new people, that are coming into this uh, church, um, what percent of them fall in one of these two categories? And here are the two categories. And, and it was hard to go and like extract all of this data, but uh, we found a way to do it. And it was, um, who, who is new and a part of our church that were not a follower of Christ or a Christian before they started coming here, right? So that was the first category. The second category was, who has started coming here? And before they came here, they were really disconnected from any other church. Maybe they were a Christian. Maybe they had gone to church somewhere in their past, but somewhere they had, something happened and it pulled them away. They struggled with doubt or they struggled with their faith and, and could not find a church home that, that could help them in that journey. Or they got hurt like something happened in their background and they just said, no more. I'm not ever going to church ever again. And they walked away from it. And something happened that God brought them to us. What percent of our new people coming to our church fall in one of those two categories? And to our dismay, uh, the percent was a little less than 1%. So like out of out of every 110 or 20 people that were new to Casas, it was like less than one was not a Christian before they came back here or disconnected from a church. And that really got us thinking. Like we realized that like we had this heart and we were, we were wanting to do things to reach more people. But somehow we found ourselves in a place that we were experiencing all of this growth but it was growth that was coming because we were collecting people out of other churches that were just coming here. 
And we had this real sobering kind of conversation that went on for a while. In fact, we went to a conference uh, in Chicago at one point and we talked a lot about this. And, and we just asked ourselves, is that okay? Like there's this excitement about the growth and, and, and like, and boy, and you feel the need, like we need to be doing these things to grow. But at the end of the day, like if we go on for another decade or another decade, and this remains the same, will we be okay with that? And we had some really sobering conversations. And I remember being in one particular uh, meeting um, and we were in like a little conference room and we went around and to a person, right? So not just like, it was just like all of us, like, okay, where are you in this? Where are you? Like we all went around. We wanted to each have a moment to say where we are. And to a person, we all said, I'm not, I'm not okay. In fact, we need to change this. Even if, and every, every man said this, every associate pastor said this, even if it means we get smaller on the way to doing that, this is where Jesus is calling us. And so we need to step out and do this. And I remember coming back from that and it just felt like, wow, this could be costly. This could be hard. And it has been. But I watched us as a church as we changed and struggled and, and continue to say, we want to be the church where thirsty people can come and find Christ in a relevant and meaningful way where, where, where we're bringing them up in a way that is helping them to relate to God, not just to know about God, but to know God in that. And that has had its struggles through the years, right? And as we've walked through that, I've watched us uh, make these changes. And there have been some beautiful things along uh, the way here. Um, along the way in this, uh, this is uh, where uh, Roger and I made a handoff. Roger is very conscious of succession planning. And he and I had these long talks about like, okay, here's where I see this uh, going, Roger. Is that okay with you? Because like, if I, I won't be the right person if this doesn't all line up. And we had all of these conversations. Um, and in 2008, he kind of handed the baton uh, off to me and have continued like walking this forward in a lot of ways. I was... Uh, uh, so encouraged here recently, I was talking to our high school pastor, Stacy Bartles, and I asked her about like what's happening in the high school area. And I said, okay, so like, where do we sit? Because um, our high school ministry uh, kind of coming out of COVID made some very deliberate changes and, and, and did some very deliberate things to seek to reach like high schoolers that, that weren't, that would be in the, one of those two categories. And she said in our Wednesday night program, which is our main high school program, right now, 50% of all the high schoolers in our high school program are the only person in their family going to church. Think about that for a moment. 50% of our high schoolers right now, they're the only member of their family that goes to a church. That means we have high schoolers that are having parents or friends, they're having to ask for a ride to come here. That, and I remember being in the youth uh, group here and I loved it, right? Such a great experience. 
but it, I, it wasn't even close. I, the number of high schoolers, when I was a high schooler here at this church, that would find a way to get a ride on their own to be a part of it, it, it was just, it would have been a minuscule fraction. It's mind-blowing to me to think that we have 50% of our high schoolers in that place. And that I'm proud of. Proud that we have high school leaders and a staff, and, and that you see, you have taken the story of Dr. Lott and Roger Barrier, and you've taken the heart of that, and you've said, Let's, let's trust Jesus, let's walk this out. You, this is your story, and it's a beautiful thing that we get to do in all of this. Uh, one last change that uh, I, I would want to talk about that has occurred kind of in the last decade or decade and a half here. Um, that is worth uh, understanding is uh, there's been this shift in how we see the spiritual life that has built uh, very much on that last shift of the spiritual life that I talked about a little while ago. So in the same way that there was a time where we as a church started to look at the spiritual life is not so much about how, about being right with God to now um, relating to God. I'd say there's been another shift that is actually built on this part of relating to God. Um, and here's, here, here's how I would uh, put it. It is seeing the spiritual life in this way, relating with God, and here's the, the part we've added or shifted into, is while resting and how God relates towards you. And that is so important. I think even in my own spiritual journey, part of what I had to walk through on this was actually trusting how Christ or how God is relating to me, that there is something foundational about coming to the place of understand and understanding and trusting how God sees you. The acceptance that you have in Christ, his concern, his love for you, that oftentimes we gloss over as a nice little thing. But you understand, if that doesn't, if that doesn't uh, go deep in your heart and soul, what we all end up doing, and, and I'll, I'll say this is an observation that I, that I make, I see so much of, of the modern evangelical world in our culture accidentally trying to wrestle control away from God, enforcing their own spiritual life that they're, they're trying to wrestle away or own something that actually belongs to God. And it, come, it, just, it comes in this form of like, okay, I, I'm gonna be every, I'm gonna do my best to be everything God wants me to be. And what I wanna say is like, you, you could never work hard enough to achieve that. And as long as you're trying to achieve that, you will always accidentally be in a kind of pseudo conditional relationship with God. And it's not that that love and acceptance isn't there. It's just you're not getting to live with it. And it will hold you back. And I've had to learn that the hard way in my own spiritual life. And it has been the thing that I have watched God call us to as a church. That to be a church that really helps people quench their thirst, we have to help people experience a spiritual life that is both helping them relate to God, but help them see how God is already seeking to relate to them. 
And God has put us on, that's, it is that combination that begins making deep and profound changes in the lives of people. I want us to go back to this uh, passage here in uh, John. And I want you to see what uh, Jesus says here, right? Go back to verse 37 again. It says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Right? Let them come to me and drink. And I remember reading this passage decades ago and going, okay, yeah, man, this is really good because I just think about all those thirsty people and all of those things. And the thing that we think of and the thing I even thought about in that time is it's like I had this picture of like, okay, it's like God comes along and says, okay, here's a big, tall pitcher of water. Here you go. You take it and you drink it. And like Jesus provides us the water that we drink and it quenches our thirst. But that is not what Jesus describes here. I want you to see what he describes here. Look at verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from the outside in? No. From the inside out. That the spiritual life is an inside out kind of transformation of the spirit of God who literally abides in our heart. And he is the one that is the initiator of those changes that doesn't just quench our thirst, but makes us a thirst quencher. He, like transforming us from the inside out. And that doesn't come until, until we can rest in understanding this is how Christ is wanting to relate to us. And so the last decade has been changes in how we preach and how we do ministry, how we interact with the world around us uh, in this thing. And I have watched changes occur that are of the most beautiful kind. And, like, and this is the story that we get to continue now as we move forward uh, in all of this. And I want to invite all of you to think about this story, right? This story that started with a little group of people, right? Seven families and a, a doctor and his wife who said, right, we're gonna step out and trust Jesus to do some things that at moments are gonna seem un, unconventional, maybe even a little controversial, even a little strange. It's gonna, it might even put us ill at ease at moments, but we're gonna trust Christ in this, even if it costs us, and we're gonna follow him where it goes. And for 60 years, right, God has been working that out, and that's you and me. Like, it's been worked into our DNA. Like, I look back on the story, I'm like, no wonder no wonder I could sit in a meeting with that group of people and that they would be so willing to say, you know what, we're going to take a chance. We're going to step out and, and be willing to do something different, even if it costs us, because this is the thing that captures the heart of Christ. We will not, we will not create a kind of shadow mission that says we need to grow and get big at, at no matter what, at whatever cost. And I can't tell you how often, like, as church leaders, we want that to just, like, that's everything. And Jesus is like, well, no, that's not everything. And the reason I can look back on that and go, I know why those guys did that. Because they were a part of a story of some people long before them that put that in our DNA, that we're going to do that. We're going to be that kind of church. And it's a beautiful thing. You're a part of a beautiful story. So can I end with this challenge? Can I end with this invitation?
be a part of writing the next chapter of this church. You get to take this story that came before you and you get, you, we get to write the next chapter of this. We, you know, I don't know, is the world a little thirsty, you think? Yeah, I think we have a great opportunity. The desert that we are in is not just the physical desert, it's the whole world now, right? You get to be a part of living with the spirit of saying, I will trust Jesus to do good and beautiful things as a part of my community, even if it gets a little uncon uh, unconventional at times, even if it costs us something. We're gonna do that beautiful thing because you get to write the next chapter of this story. Why don't you stand? And I'm going to close this in prayer here. And as I do, I want to just say, um, if this is your first time here, you're visiting, welcome. Make this, make this the first day of a glorious new story in your life. We would love to have you as a part of this. And whether you've been here a little while or whether you've been here for decades and decades, I just can't tell you what a pleasure it is to be a part of your story in a part of this uh, community. Um, let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, I just thank you for the history that you wrote through so many precious people and through your son, Jesus Christ. And we just pray that you would continue to inspire all of us as your community, as we seek to live out your calling within us as your community. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great morning. See you next Sunday.